Hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Customer Experience Podcast R&R with myself, Richard Knight. Myself, Ryan Huntsman. We have a very esteemed guest with us today. Um, I'd like to introduce everyone to Mr. Ian Kelsall, who's our esteemed colleague from up north, well, the Midlands. Anyway, so um, anywhere anywhere north of Bristol, they don't drink cider. Well, they do in Hereford, don't they? I'll shut up. Anyway, Ian, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to drink cider or beer or gin or wine if you're in the chair, Ryan. So uh, thanks for the invite to... Uh, to talk on today's podcast. So yeah, my name is Ian Kelsall and I run the Insight 6 uh, business in Staffordshire and Cheshire. Marvellous. So we thought this on our 73rd episode, that's right, 73 warblings from the West Country, we thought we'd expand it a little bit, look, you know, away from where down the Southwest and we go up, up country and find out what's going on or what's been going on up there in 2023. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next, well, who knows how long, however long, depends, uh, yeah, if one of us, you know, runs out of steam at some point then we might finish uh if not we'll be going for hours uh, so we're going to find out how things have been going in 2023 from the customer experience world um and then think about a little bit about what we're we're thinking is going to be occurring what do we need to focus on in 2024 so it's all been go down here in the west country so what about from your point of view ian how's how's things been going in um further up north uh, ish Staffordshire way um, for 23. 2023 yeah it's a good time to reflect I guess and look at back at what has happened last year it's been a good year for us um, we've kept most of the clients we've been working with for several years so again good loyalty with the clients that continue to work with us um, trends I guess from my point of view this I feel has definitely been more focus on investing in people uh, and people realizing that actually in order to deliver a great customer experience you've got to look after your team and look after your people and I guess that might be driven by the uh, inelasticity of the labour market. So when you've got people, it's really difficult to replace them or recruit. So therefore, you might have to look after your people a little bit better. So I think it's definitely a trend I've seen up here where businesses are investing more in their teams. And, and I think also with a push for productivity and efficiency, again, people looking at processes. So customer journey mapping as an example, um, because they've realised actually that customer journey mapping doesn't necessarily increase cost or increase time. Actually, it probably helps to reduce costs and reduce time as well as deliver a great customer experience as well. So there are definitely two trends I've seen appear, investing in people uh, and investing in making their processes work both for themselves as a business, mm. but also for the customer as the, as the person that pays the wages. So that sort of investment in people piece is is really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, there's lots of, you get the odd person in an organisation who says, yeah, yeah, definitely got to focus on that because that's the important stuff. So they put in a training session, uh, you know, uh, based on something like the mystery visits that's been going on or so-and-so isn't picking up the phone and using somebody's name. So we'll, we'll run a session for an hour and tell them that they have to do that. And that's the tick in the box. Is that something that you've been seeing uh, 23 or has there been more of that actually we do need to do a little bit more with that to make it effective if you like i think there's a little bit yeah i think there's definitely a focus on the compliance elements of, of ticking boxes and doing things but actually what i've seen more is the behavioral element how do we help people to make better decisions how do we help people to really think about the customer how do we help people to kind of lead that that cx agenda so it's much more around the behavioral stuff than it is about the tick the, the tick box stuff. There's a bit of that coming out of some of the CX reviews. Obviously, there's things that need to be done. Tables need to be cleaned. Phones need to be answered. Um, but certainly what I've seen up here is is far more sort of cultural and behavioural than it is about um, following a process. One of the interesting things that, that I think we've noticed 
in the industry, Ian, and I'd be interested to get your views on this, is particularly if you look at the ICS uh, results, the Institute Customer Services um, ind uh, ind Indicator suggests that overall satisfaction for clients and customers has gone back by about 2% on the year. And interestingly, some of the clients that we've been working with down here, um, we've obviously seen a real juxtaposition. Some have gone back, some have gone forward. I think the ones that have te tended to have gone back have absolutely struggled with that point you made around the, the employee engagement. But, m but more importantly, the elasticity of the jobs market where you've got really, really highly trained roles, particularly in professional services where they can't recruit and therefore that's then impacting on the pressure that's putting colleagues under and therefore they're not able to give the level of service that they want. Um, and, and I'm not sure if you think about the, you know, the current um, noise from the government around, you know, reducing that migration and whatever your political view on that is your political view. But my broader point here is, is that it, that that's not an attractive uh, part of uh, the economy to be in, is it, in terms of, you know, trying to bring, you know, external um, support into the country. So, I mean, one of my worries, if you like, for, for CX in 24, absolutely, I think is impinged and hinges on this point around, you know, getting great people, looking after great people who will then look after your customers. And to Rich's point, I think, I think sadly, there are some putting it out there, some people will disagree with me, but, you know, we never shy away from a, from a debate on this podcast. But, you know, I think sadly, there are some businesses that are customer washing, green washing their, their outputs to try and hide what is effectively a really challenging operational background that they find themselves in. Yeah, I, I was, well, there's two stories I'd like to share here at this point. I was taking William to school today, so he's my 13-year-old son, for those who don't know, and he asked me a question which was quite interesting. He said, what comes first, Dad, inflation or the minimum wage increase? Because surely one drives the other. And I was wow. like, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And I couldn't wait to drop off at school thinking, I don't know how to answer that question. Um <laughs> So I'll give him a slap and say, go and do your physics homework. <laughs> um, and um, and I didn't slap in any child, by the way, in case somebody is listening. <laughs> um, so then I, I was fortunate enough to go to our local chamber council meeting. I was sitting on the Staffordshire uh, Chamber of Commerce Council, and we invited a gentleman there from the Bank of England to talk about his view of the world and what the state of the economy was looking like, et cetera, et cetera. And he asked the question again, which is, anybody got any questions? I'm like, I've got a great question. So I repeated the 13-year-old's question to him. And he said, that's really quite interesting, and, and then answered this. And I also then followed up with a question, which was, well, is there any evidence to suggest that minimum wage results in job losses, given the problem we've got with the, the job market? And if I've got, <clears throat> just for easy math, if I've got 10 employees and I've got a 10% pay rise that I need to give, because obviously it's not just those are minimum wages, all the differentials I need to maintain as well. Then I've got to find that extra ten percent somewhere. So I've either got to become ten percent more efficient. I've got to charge ten percent more, or I've got to get rid of ten percent of my workforce. So ten employees might equal nine people get a pay rise. Unfortunately, one person loses their job. Is there any evidence to suggest that that's what's happening? He said, over the twenty odd years that minimum wage has been in place, there's zero evidence to suggest that minimum wage causes job losses. Until now, until now. So this is the first time we've announced a minimum wage increase, and we've seen a reaction in the job market. So this is a very different trading environment that we're about to enter into. Maybe tech and AI is part of that because clearly you can bot your way out of situations or you can have a robot doing something. So there might be efficiencies from that perspective. But 
running the business efficiently and running the business properly, and by properly, I mean looking after both your colleagues and your customers, uh, which then has a commercial impact, I think is far more imperative than it's ever been because you can't paper over those cracks you've talked about. Somewhere along the lines, you're going to get found out. Um, the world is going to slow down. There's going to be far more competition for whatever our clients or, or we are selling. So if you don't look after your customers, they'll just stop coming to you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really interesting one in terms of the that sort of uh, reference to the technology piece and the whole AI uh, side of things, because that th those have been the competition, uh, the conversations that I've been hearing lots and lots more about. You know, oh, this is we're going to this intelligent AI, and we're going to make sure that we can bring it all in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, you know, from my point of view, I absolutely believe that there is a place for it, um, and it will make a big difference in terms of uh, the outputs, things you know, like those chatbots that annoy everybody and all of those lovely things, but. Do we think is there that danger of people going completely and utterly too far the the, the wrong way, and then dr that that behaviour level or the, the the skill level of of humans dropping even further away? You know, mm. I think one of the big things that I've heard recently is that the, the number one skill or the lack of skill, the number one area is the ability to speak on a telephone. You know, and that people can't do that anymore. What do we, well, what do we I think? I think Ryan mentioned about the Institute of Customer Services. I saw a report from them, I think it might have been 12, 18 months ago, um, certainly on the back end of, of the COVID fallout, where actually it highlighted that exact problem that everyone's invested in tech, but actually there's almost a, a danger that you over-invest in tech because people still want human contact. They still want to go into shops and touch and feel products and speak to an individual and, and be listened to, because that's another art form that, that a lot of people might struggle with. Um, so that was quite interesting from that perspective. But... I think to your point, Rich, and I'm sure you guys are the same when we're doing training courses with our teams, it's about, yes, there's a process, there's a framework, but actually it is about being a human. It's about listening. It isn't about having a lot of cookie cutter responses. It's about how do you tailor that, that, that experience for the individual? So giving people the confidence sometimes to say yes, because it's the right thing to do, and sometimes to say no, because it's the right thing to do as well. So there's never going to be a complete black and white kind of rule book of doing things, but you've got to give a culture and leadership and skills to empower people to guess to guess to do whatever felt right at the time and if that turns out to be the wrong decision well then you coach people to get better mm -hmm. um what you can't just do is kind of have a very rigid process of people becoming robots otherwise you will end up with lots of ai robots stood there on a till or serving your food or whatever it will be or answering the phone to a law firm where it's just a simple process of yes no thank you very much mm. yeah I, I think I, I think we're beginning to see that and i think one of the trends that i I, um, if I got my crystal ball out <clears throat> um, for next year, I think we are starting to see the tipping point with the use of tech and human interaction. So if you, if you take an example, one of our old clients, Boots, up in, you know, but getting a bit further north um, than you, Ian, in, in the northwest, you know, they're removing all their, pretty much all of their self-checkouts because, you know, they've done some insight work with their, customers and you know their customer base their persona type doesn't want to interact with the machine it wants to interact with the human <clears throat> i was having a very similar conversation yesterday at lunch with a, with my, my largest client about some of their professionals who who are so reliant on tech that they'd rather communicate with the client through the medium of email or text rather than picking the phone up which comes back to your point rich and th this is going to be a huge problem for businesses um, as as we move forward, and I, you know, again to to quote another industry, I think you're starting to see that tipping point with the banking industry now. You've got businesses like Nationwide saying, "Do you know what? We're not closing any more banks. 
because you know we know that, that this this concept of digital this physical and digital interaction is almost tipping the wrong way and i i think businesses that, that spot that and do something about it quickly in 24 will be far far more successful than those that you know continue to push down this this route of um you know keeping the client at an arm's length contact us through the bot the the text message the i mean i've told this story before um my phone contracts with ee and they make it incredibly difficult for you to to get through and speak to to a person you know uh, you, you want to put some international women on your phone you ring the number they suggest you ring then they give you about 19 options then you have to work out which one you you choose and then, and then to my utter surprise they tell you that they're going to text you back with another number that's uh that you then need to run. I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's farcical it's like what is the matter with people um, and one of the five things that the institute talk about talks about in their in their July um, summary was businesses that make it easy to be contactable again will win in twenty four. You know this this constant you know reduction of and efficiency gains by removing people. You know to your point, Ian, people will start to vote with their feet and they'll they'll go elsewhere. And, and that plays in plays into the the conversations that businesses have about making it easy, but they're making it easy for themselves. It's the old adage, oh, well, yeah, let's get a new CRM system because that old one's really slow for us. You know, it's really difficult for us to pull the data out and do all of these sort of things. Great. And they get that sorted. And then, of course, that knock on effect is that it makes life harder for the mm. customer. Yeah. So, again, to your point, you mentioned there, Ian, around uh, client journey mapping, customer journey mapping. You've got to do that sort of thing. You've got to sit mm. back and look at it from the customer's point of view. And and really and really challenge yourselves to say, is this good? Who's this? Who's this best for? Who is this best for? Because ultimately, that short gain you might get by putting in that newer CRM system for your for your teams is is going to be completely washed away when a year later you go in. Where's all the customers gone? It's a it's a really interesting subject. Again, last last week I was with a client where, funny enough, we looked at. Um just a marketing message on their website. And we just simply colored anything that talked about themselves in red. We talked about anything that talked about the customer in um, green. And we talked about anything that was emotional um, language in yellow. <laughs> and it was really quite interesting that the first part of it was all in red. The second part of it then was all in yellow. And the third part of it was all in green. And actually what we said, well, if you do rewrite it, you just literally yes. just switch it around again. Yeah. So if you then talk about, well, actually, these are the reasons that you should use us because we help you, Richard, and we help mm -hmm. you, Ryan, and this is how we make you feel. Or by the way, we do it by being brilliant at what we do. That's the right order. So it's a bit more than wise, which is probably quite right, given the fact we're getting to Christmas. The, the message was, was all, it was, it was all the wrong notes and all the wrong order, actually. All you had to do was move it around. And then the yeah. customer would have felt like, actually, this is all for me rather than actually the other way around. So, so booths is an interesting one. Supermarkets are an interesting one. Um, obviously, I've worked in supermarkets. I know Ryan's worked in, 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 in other retail areas as well. There's only one reason those self-serve sales go in, <laughs> and it's not because customers love them. There's an amount of customers that love them. If you're in a town centre, they're obviously yeah. quicker and easier if the queues are at the other checkouts. But it's all about cost, and it's all about efficiency. And again, the likes of the Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda's, Morrison's of the world are all operating on a 3 or 4% margin, so cost is really critical to those businesses. Um, so if you can then balance the needs of the business with the needs of the customer, which I guess is what booths are saying, then I think they're a great idea. So tech going in that makes it easier for customers, um, easier for people and better for the business is a smart thing to do. And again, I've told this story very quickly. Last time we went away to Europe, Emma and I flew with Jet2 and on the motorway drive, Emma's telling me about, well, you've got to weigh your own like luggage and you've got to put your own um, labels on. I was like, 
this is a disgrace. You know, what are we paying these for? And I thought, well, I know what's happened. Jet2 have made it all really efficient and got rid of all their staff on the check-in and desks. So driving up to Manchester, it's only about 45, 50 minute drive for me. <clears throat> I was fuming. And of course, you get into the airport terminal and you're waiting for the fight because the scale doesn't work properly and the stickers don't work properly. And I was greeted by this gentleman, the big red blaze, which was Jet2. And he kind of walked me through the process, walked me to the scales, walked me through to the baggage area. I'd done all the work myself, but it felt brilliant. And I raved about it for the next five years telling everybody about how amazing Jet2 is. Now, I think what they did, they took out a chunk of money from the reduction staffing, but they then reinvested it back into that experience piece. So, so having, you know, I'm all for businesses save the money, absolutely, but, but choosing to invest tech and make the experience better, now that was a smart thing to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a really interesting one in terms of the, the, the money piece because we know that, that all those figures are saying was that 86% of customers will pay more for a great experience. So yeah. yeah, if we can balance the two up, I think that's that's really interesting. But uh, on that right. point, which is an, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I've raved about Jet Two on on this podcast before. Because if you look at their market and you look at some of their competitor airlines, and a number of them are, are actually copying them now. Um, I read a story last week um, about my least favorite airline um, that's that's got an Irish thing on the tail. Right you are charging that's one um, oh. that are charging um, you something ridiculous like 20 30 quid for a um, for a um, online um, boarding pass I mean what, what it's just like but you know and, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like look I know some people don't have a choice and that may be the only way they can get to where they need to go but that is just utter profiteering on what is a low cost model, they think, well, I'm just, I need to make a bit more money and this is the way I'm going to do it. Jet2 approved, on the other hand, they can be competitive with their, their prices. They're not the cheapest, but I don't think they profess to be the cheapest, but they're competitive and they can still provide an excellent service that everybody's crying about. We've booked with Jet2 every year since that first experience. In fact, I never even open up the TUI app now or, you know, EasyJet. Jet2 is my go to um, solution for it. So it just proves. That when you get it right and you do it well people respond to that and, and it comes back to the memories of the experience you know to your point ian you know it was really easy i went through you even remember the guy in the red jacket you know and and that is that is it you know how, how simple can we be um great use of tech but great use of, great use of human interaction as well well, well airlines get a bad press don't they generally mm -hmm. you know lost luggage and blah 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 and it, and, it, and it can't be the easiest operation to, to manage i'm sure i've never worked that sector but i appreciate it's not easy but that doesn't mean that you have to do it badly. Um, and there are great examples. And, and talking about your experience there of, or your thoughts around some cheaper operators in the airline industry, it's every industry. Again, I was with another law firm of the week who, who by their own admission, they're not the cheapest. And they've got themselves to a place where they thought, well, it's all about cost. I said, well, why are you still getting phone calls then? Why are you still getting instructions? Somebody must be prepared to pay a premium for it. Otherwise, you'd be out of business and they'd all be ringing your cheapest competitor. So, so again, it's not necessarily about being the cheapest. It's about adding those values and making sure you feel like you're worth it. And Rich is absolutely right. People will quite happily pay um, a slightly more money for, for a guarantee of good service or at least a, a premium service. And the information I share with lots of clients is our research suggests that, you know, 14 or 15% of your customers are probably fairly price sensitive. So they're, they're going to trigger much more about the price. But I think the figures are somewhere 60 or 70% of customers are more service sensitive. So you'll lose far more customers by delivering a bad experience than you'll ever lose by putting your prices up. 
Yeah, I mean, it link, links in massively again to, to Ryan's point around that um, emotional connection piece. You know, it's 90% of a buying decisions based on an emotional yeah. connection. Of course, logic's going to come in and that cost piece is going to be there. But, you know, if that if it doesn't feel right, you know, you could have exactly the same costings. In fact, interestingly enough, at the moment, we're just phoning around various uh, solicitors to find out about getting wills written, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they're, they're very similar pricing, very similar within 25 50 pound differences you know which is neither here nor there these days unfortunately but you know but what what's the difference it's just that 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 tonality on the phone it's the the enthusiasm the smile you can hear on the end of the telephone you know the fact that they talk about themselves and how they can help and they you know they really are in the moment with you rather than the yeah hello how can we help you oh you want a will is it for you or for you and a partner right and be this or that give us a shout when you're ready thanks very much bye-bye yeah. And I think it's very easy, even with something like that you just described there about uh, Will and Probate Department Law Firm. I'm all for processes. You know, my entire life was spent learning and trying to deliver processes, but you can still have to deliver them with a little bit of personality, with a little bit of integrity, with a little bit of, of love and affection for the client, if you like. And I think what's quite interesting, we look forward to next year. Lots of sectors, for a variety of reasons, they've been like a hamster wheel where it's been really, really busy. You know, people have been chucking money out left, right and centre. Um, some businesses you described like shooting fish in a barrel. That's about to change. And I think to your point, and, and when you asked about, well, what your highlights from last year and maybe forecast for this year, the clients I'm talking to recognise that actually the world's about to change. And it's going to get a bit tougher. So therefore, keeping hold of customers and trying to get hold of new customers, it's going to be more challenging. So therefore, we can't carry on behaving the way that we were. We can't be sending out emails and text messages and leave us alone, we're busy, because they will leave us alone. And then all of a sudden we're not busy. So so again, that definitely is a trend that people are realising that they cannot carry on doing what they've done over the last two or three years for the next two or three years because it won't work. Mm, so in terms of our tips for 24, um, and, and I'm realising I'm springing this on you both, but as I was listening to you both, it's a great way to to round off the podcast for 24 as as the um the the amazing sex uh specialist we are what is your what would be your one top tip uh for businesses next year to be focusing on and uh, as you're the guest you know let you have a little think about that and, and put mr knight right on the spot oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> i tell you we really do need to have a pre-podcast conversation to work out what the hell it is we're going to say yeah, we got to be um, doing that there's there's the top tip let's just crack on and you know see where it takes you and all that (laughs) lovely stuff no no i think from from my from my point of view the 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 key one uh that i'm seeing more and more and and ian alluded to at the start of our conversation what is around employee engagement employee experience um you know tech's clearly going to be there but from my point of view for any um firms listening out there businesses listening out there is are your teams engaged? Are your people really willing to go that extra mile for your organization? How do you know? Are you actually gathering the data, understanding where they are? And not just around money. It's not just around money. I've spoken about motivators before. There's nine motivators of work. One of them's money, but there's lots of other things people want and need. And if you get that right, if you start to really listen internally as well as externally to your customers, you are then going to have people who are going to want to delight the customers, who are going to want to listen and make a difference to their customers. So yeah, employee engagement, 
employee focus. Otherwise, you'll have lots of quiet quitters. 70, no, 69% of uh, the world's employees apparently are quiet quitting, sitting there waiting to finish. Uh, it's not very good for performance. So, yeah, employee engagement. That'd be where I'm focusing on. Rich, yeah. Well, as Rich just declared, this hasn't been scripted or planned in any way, shape or form, but it, you wouldn't believe so, what I'm about to say. So Richard just talked about the importance of having the employees engaged. I would say it's about the processes. So you can have a, an engaged team of people that can help to kind of follow the customer journey map and deliver the things the business needs. Because for me, there's always three things that are involved in any um, customer journey map. There's the colleagues, obviously around that colleague experiential piece and making it really easy for them to do a great job. There's the customers or the clients who obviously we're on the receiving end of it and ultimately pay the wages. And then there's a the commercial side. So I talk about the three C's, colleagues, customers, commercials. And if we can get those three things right, then the business will be successful. So anything you're looking to change in your business needs to be able to tick three boxes. Does it make life easier for colleagues? And some people don't like making it easier for colleagues, but when I say easy, I mean easy for them to do their job brilliantly. Um, does it make it better for customers? And then therefore it will make it better for commercials. So make sure your processes are really, really good um, for those three elements and colleagues is really simple can they do the job is it easy to follow customers does it enhance the business and and the experience and the commercial side for me is actually is it efficient are you able are you able to be, to be productive in the way that you do things so so the customer journey mapping exercises that we do yes we make the the the, the process easy to follow and yes we also make it better for the customer on the receiving end of it but it's amazing how many times you trim out inefficiencies or you trim out things that add no value so actually, you can do two things. You can improve the customer experience and also help yourself to make more money through efficiency and productivity. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. Ryan, um, go on then. Yeah. So, my, so my talk to really builds on, on but what you both said, because you're absolutely right. In a client journey, you have to have your processes in place. You're always engaged in that process and in the organisation and then check that your customers actually value what you're doing. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of businesses that I've spoken to this year, um, some really, really positive businesses that that understand the power of really good insight. So before they make strategic decisions, they actually kick the tires on their plan before they move forward. And, and, and you know, gratefully have asked us to get involved to help them to help them with that process. So my tip, um, if you're thinking about your strategy for next year is don't make assumptions uh, your assumptions may well be right, but but get some really great insight um, along that journey. Talk to your team, talk to your customers, understand if the journey that you're going to go on is actually the one that your team and your customers want you to go on. Otherwise, you know, to uh, to Richard's point, you're going to get lots of quiet quitters, both in your uh, both in your employee estate and also in your in your customer estate. So use great insight to make informed decisions. Um, and of course, we can always help you with that. Um, our parting Christmas gift to you all is, you know, please get in contact with any of us. And we can, we, you know, it, it doesn't, we don't always come with a big uh, price tag attached. Uh, we'll often um, share, as we do on this podcast, month in, month out, our top tips. So, you know, get some good insight, get some good support um, and make some great decisions for 24. Marvellous. And also, of course, if you are listening to us on a regular basis, please do remember to subscribe to whichever channel you're listening through. Follow us um, to make sure that you can hear us again in 2024 because we will be back. And actually, I think, Ian, thank you ever so much for your time today. It's been brilliant to have you on. And I think we will return and see how things are going Oop, further north uh, from Staffordshire Way in 2024, if that's okay. And I'm sure our listeners would like to 
hear your warblings from that part of the country as well. That's, so that's so far, without a doubt. You know, you're, you're, it could be R, R and I by the end of next year. Well, it could. I think I probably need to work on my accent a little um, <laughs> just to fit in. That's, yeah, well, you know, if you and uh, yeah, you've got to be able to drink lots of cider because that's all good. But um, thank you ever so much. Uh, it's a Merry Christmas to all our listeners and viewers on YouTube. So thank you ever so much for sticking with us in 2023. Have a fantastic uh, festive break. Uh, and we'll be back in 2024. Thank you very much again to Ian Kelsall. Thank you. I've been Rich Knight. We'll have a great festive period and we'll see you again in 24.